Amen? Church, the question has to be for us this morning as we begin to look at this. Are we, are we comfortable or are we loving? Which one is it? Because they usually don't go hand in hand. You know, it's not always comfortable to be loving. God says, if you love me, obey me. Let me tell you, that's not comfortable. It's loving. Are we comfortable? Or are we loving those around us? And this is what we're going to talk about. This is what the Lord is going to talk to us about as we continue to just take a walk through the scriptures and moving through the gospel of Luke and taking a look at what it is that he's doing in here. And I'll give you a moment. If you've got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 5. Open up your phone. You can go to the app. On the app, if you go to the media and sermon notes, we'll find the scriptures. You'll find some sermon notes in there. They will help you with life group to be able to go through that later on. So uh, again, open those up for a moment here. And in, in, in what we're doing is we're going through, and I'm, I've never seen it so clearly as when we've been just breaking this down as we have in scripture, just slowly going line by line through this. But, you know, the Gospel of Luke, it shares so masterfully what Jesus is doing and what Jesus did and how he laid things out in such a purposeful fashion. What he did was, and in Luke chapter 5, what we're finding is that he's laying groundwork for the ministry. He's not just happenstance. Oh, he doesn't just happen on the leper at this point. Come on, God does everything is by purpose. He knows the purposes. He knows the plans. He knows what's going on. And so it's not an accident that these things are placed in the, play, in the chronological order even, that these things are placed. And Luke has, has, has masterfully laid these things out for us to lay the groundwork of, through the gospel of Luke, the ministry of a spirit-filled Jesus. And then what he does is he goes into, and Luke, he's authors, he finishes the Gospel of Luke, and then he begins to author the book of Acts. And he begins to go through, and he goes from this spirit-filled Jesus to describing the spirit-filled church. And therefore, as the spirit-filled church, we should be looking at the spirit-filled Jesus as the example of how we build, how we walk, and how we maintain the ministry that he has given to us. Jesus is our example. And what's sad is how seldom sometimes we look at that. And that's what we're being forced to do as we go through this line by line, looking at what Luke is describing here in his investigation. Who is this man? Jesus. And declaring that he is truly the Christ. God in the flesh. So let's look at this, starting in verse 17. I'm just going to read through the whole story, and then we'll go back, and we'll start to break this down over the next few weeks. It's going to take some time. This is a very deep, very detailed story that Jesus is, uh, is or that Luke is sharing about Jesus here. So let's uh, look at this as we read through it. Verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks of blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Look, we, we often wonder, well, where in the world does it say in Scripture that, that Jesus is God? Well, here's one spot right here. Verse 22, And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. Can't you only imagine how glorifying of God he would have been? And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that your word is able to do what we cannot. We thank you, Lord, today for rightly dividing the word in our lives. And I pray, God, that we would receive your word, the fullness of your word, in our hearts and let it bring change to our minds. God, we thank you that you're the redeemer, that you are the one, Lord God, that we can turn to and know, Lord, that you're the one gives us truth and only truth. So Lord, let that truth be released in this place. And I pray for ears to hear that we would take hold of your word and that we would be blessed today as you change and transform us from the inside out. Thank you for that today, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen? Amen. So we are going to begin to take a look at, in depth, this story. Not, I'll say this again later, not exhaustively. There is no way that I could have time or ability to begin to create an exhaustive study of this whole story. I'm going to encourage you to dive deeper into it and find some things that I, I'm not even seeing or I'm not even realizing. Because the Word of God is a well. It is a, an endless well. It has a depth that we will never reach the bottom of. And therefore, you can keep on diving. And I encourage you to do that. And so we're going to begin going back through this story here. And it begins by talking with us about the, the Pharisees and the scribes. In verse 17, it says, on one of those days, he was teaching. So again, we go back to what we've been talking about. The ministry of Jesus here in this earth was to preach and to teach. He was casting out demons. He was healing the sick. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. And so these are the guys. We're going to take some time. And we're going to talk a little bit about these guys. Because, again, he, he's talking about the Pharisees and scribes. And he'll talk about that a little later in here. We'll see that these teachers of the law that he's talking about are actually the scribes. And the Pharisees and scribes, they appear a lot in the Gospel of Luke. In all the Gospels. But they, they, they really appear a lot in Luke's Gospel. Not always in a good way. You know, today we're going to uh, see people come to the pool of baptism. And let me say, when John was baptizing in the wilderness out there at the Jordan River, people were coming and John was baptizing them. And the Pharisees and the scribes came to John because they wanted to be baptized too. And John said, no, you know what? You guys, and he called them, a, you guys are a brood of vipers. Ouch. And he says, you know what, you guys need to start living in a way that bears the fruit of repentance. In baptism, one of the things that should be happening in our lives, even obviously before baptism, is that the fruit of repentance is being made obvious in our lives. Our life is being changed. Our life is being transformed. We're making decisions and choices, and the Holy Spirit is empowering those decisions and choices that our lives would begin to reflect the fruit of repentance. And it's not that we make these things up and begin to just, I got to produce the fruit. What, we'll, what we end up doing when we start trying to produce fruit is we create just fake fruit that sits on the table and is no good for nothing. It just looks good. God wants to produce, and he's the only one that can produce real fruit in our lives. And so these, these, these Pharisees and scribes, they weren't doing that. And so John rebuked them. And, and in Jesus himself, one of the harshest rebukes, read, read uh, John, or, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 is an absolute rebuke of the Pharisees and the scribes. He calls them all sorts of things. Jesus does. I mean, woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. Seven times in that one chapter, he says, woe to you. And he calls them serpents. He calls them vipers. It's like Jesus, I mean, sometimes it's like, Jesus, I'm reading, you know, I was reading Matthew 23 thinking, man, Jesus Calm down a little bit. <laughs> Wait a second. No, we probably should get a little more excited, I think. 
We need to look at this. We need to talk about this as we go through Luke, and we're going to talk more and more about that. But we can't skip the introduction that needs to be made to these guys. And one of the things, as I started to study and look at what these guys were made up of, the Pharisees and the scribes, one of the things I realized is these guys, they started off with a really, really, really good idea. They did. I mean, they started off in a, in a good place because they started off with this. We want people to obey the Bible. That was what they wanted. I mean, come on, doesn't that sound like a good idea? I say it's a good idea. If we're going to take a vote on things that we should do, I think we should all vote yes to obeying the Bible. Come on, amen. How many of you today want to be people who obey the Bible and want others to obey the Bible? Okay, you are Pharisees. Just kidding. Just kidding. That, that's what they started off wanting. So how did, listen, again, please don't let that joke get your, all, it was a joke. <laughs> I know, I can hear some of you going, <gasps> No, my point is this. That's a good thing. How did they go from a good thing to Pharisees? Because again, Pharisees, scripturally, Pharisees is a bad thing. I mean, you don't find positive things in scripture about these Pharisees. They are, and what, the, what they are, they're the religious guys. They're the guys who had a major role in the murder of Jesus. They're the enemies of Christ. They were the enemies of what the cross truly did stand for. Well, these guys started off with a good idea. I still think it's a good idea that we obey the word of God. It's okay to say amen. <laughs> I, know, God. I don't know if I should agree with them or not. Yes, we want, to, we want to obey the Bible. We should obey the word of God. These guys had a good thing, but they had all the wrong answers. See, what, what these guys did, they made it all about what we do not about what Jesus does. They made it all about their so-called perfect life, not about Jesus' perfect life. They made it all about their works, their good works, what they did, not about what Jesus did, not about God's grace that he exposed to you and I through Jesus Christ our Lord. They didn't do that. They got it all wrong. They missed out on all this stuff. They became religious and even the definition of religion is belief that belief in a religion and what they were doing was they were putting their religion above their god in whom that religion was intended to serve when we begin to start putting traditions over god we get into a place of religiosity and these guys were the religious now, breaking them down, because he mentions both, he first, you know, we'll, we'll look at the scribes. The scribes in that day, the scribes were the professionals. And again, I want you to just kind of listen, because sometimes we, uh, we tend to do the same thing. So the scribes were, they were the professionals. They were, th these guys, they were formally trained. They were theologians. These guys are the guys who, who they had the Bible degrees. They had the college degrees. They had gone to seminary. They had all of these big degrees behind their names. They were the PhDs. They were the MDs. They were the, you know, all these professional things is what they were. They're the guys who had, you know, libraries at home. They're the guys who had published books. They're the guys who had done all these important things. And and because of all these important things, these guys had great influence because they were the ones, the scribes were the ones who interpreted the written law for the, for the society that they were in as a whole and had a, a very respected place over the Pharisees because they were highly trained professionals. Now, the Pharisees then, the Pharisees were the Jewish ruling class. They were the, they were the heads of the, of the religious class. These guys were educated, they were trained, they were discipled. And what, we talked about this a while back, but what these guys would do is they literally would live in a community. Most of the Pharisees, whatever sect of, of Pharisees they were in, they would live in the same community, they would come together, they would become their own community, and they would come into these private places, these private meetings, 
meetings. And the Pharisees, they would give equal precedence to the written law and to oral tradition. Again, I, I went through a long thing of teaching about oral tradition and what that was. And oral tradition, is, it's not like it wasn't important. It is important. It was very important then. But what these guys were doing is they were taking the written law and they were taking oral tradition and they were beginning to give greater precedence to what they perceived oral tradition to be than what the written law actually had to say. And what that means is they were adding to the word of God. We still see that very prominently. And so one sect of Pharisees would come together and they would be under the tutelage or oversight of a scribe. He would be like the expert theologian. I want you to picture these guys. These are the guys with the big long beards and the big giant phylacteries on their head and the big giant hats and the robes. They're the guys with all the degrees. They're the guys who have got all the Twitter followers. They're the guys with all the Facebook friends. That's what we're looking at. These guys who are counting the followers. And the Pharisees, what their job was, what they would do, is they would try their best to enforce all the rules that the scribes made. But they became obedient to a point of blindness where it was no longer about what was right or appropriate. It was about what the scribes said. It wasn't about anything other than what a man's opinion and a man's thought and a man's dictate was. So, but again, in that day, they still became very powerful. They were a powerful group of people and they had great influence in the community and they used that influence greatly in the community that they were, They're, which means they became one of the strongest voices in all of Israel. They became a, a, a strong voice in Judaism. They were very, very powerful. And so it goes on and it says, and they came from, and these people were coming from every village in Galilee and Judea. So we talked about that. Jesus was going about ministering in all these little towns in the region of Galilee. Again, we talked about all of that. And now what we see is, and they're coming from Jerusalem. So now you got the heavy hitters. These are the guys that have a name. These are the who's who of the religious circles. These are the guys that, man, I tell you what, these are the guys that everybody looks up to. These are, again, the who's who in this religious world. And so Jesus is gaining fame. Everybody's coming. These guys are coming from all these little areas and regions. And wherever Jesus shows up, people are coming. But now we got people that are coming from Jerusalem. They're, these are the big guys that are coming. And all these guys are coming to listen. And so we got the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're there. And Jesus is preaching, and Jesus is beginning to teach. And you got all these guys, and they're all sitting there in the front row. Today, it would be all these religious people, all these people that are graduated from sin, all these guys sitting in the front row with their laptops open, looking for the free Wi-Fi, got their Twitter account open, they're ready to tweet their opinion of what this new Jesus phenomenon is all about. What is this all about here? People need to know our opinion. People need to know what I think about all this. So, again, seeing all that, and the power, listen, and the power of the Lord was with him. Jesus, the power of the Lord was there to heal. I love this. All these guys that were sitting there, the religious people, all had a theology of healing. All Jesus had was people he healed. Okay, they all had a method. Jesus had the power. Totally different level, totally different authority, totally different. And in verse 18, he says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who had been paralyzed and was seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Verse 19, But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into their midst before Jesus. So Jesus is in this home, and he's teaching. And I just, just to make this so that we can put ourselves there, this is your life group. 
Okay, imagine your life group that Jesus in the flesh, Jesus shows up this day. Come on, that's a great day, amen? A great day. Jesus showed up. All of a sudden, your life group's huge. All of a sudden, I mean, it's overflowing. It's growing. I mean, this is crazy. The house is full. And of course, who takes all, who's, who gets the couch? Who gets the lazy boy? Come on, who gets the front row? Who gets the front two rows? Yeah, all these religious people and all these Bible college guys and all these seminary guys, they come to your life group and they take up all the best seats and sit in the front row. It's like they're, they're not even in your life group. And they eat all the food. Come on. And then take the best seat. So they're there, they're there in the middle of it all. These guys are right there in the front rows. And then you've got the other life group people that are normally there that now can't find a place to sit. So they, they're now gathered around, standing around the back, you know, just trying to find a place to sit, filling in the doorways. And then you have everyone else that's trying to come and trying to get into this little house. And everything's just jam-packed and people are everywhere. There's no openings. It's just, man, if you got there late, you were in trouble. And then, here comes the paralytic. This guy who's paralyzed. And so, what happens? His friends go and get a cot. I don't know about you. I mean, you know, we've done different games, drills, different things where, you know, trying to carry a person. I I remember one time when... um, Trevor was, and we were doing this human video, and Trevor was supposed to be this kid that had died, and my job was to carry him. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like trying to, you know, carry a, a, a you know, bag of bones, kind of, you know, it's like, and, and when somebody is in a position like that, if you're a caregiver at all, or you've ever done any caregiving, you know how difficult it is to get somebody up that can't get up. I mean, it's like what, I mean, normally I could lift that amount of weight, but now you put it in a person and now it's like, this is like, you know, trying to lift Play-Doh. It's like wiggling and moving and these guys, they get a cot and they put this guy on a cot and they're trying, now carrying him to the house. And they get to the house, and when they get there, they, they can't get in. There's no way, oh, man, we can't get in. The garage is full of people. There's no way to get to the door. People are crowded in. They won't let me get through there. They can't get to the door. All the windows, people are hanging out of them. People are hanging on the windows trying to see. What in the world do we do? We can't get our buddy. And, you know, who knows why they're late? I mean, I think I have a reason why they're late. But these guys, they want to get their friend to Jesus. And they can't get their friend to Jesus. Why? Because all these religious people were in the way. I think it's amazing. In church, it happens today. You want to get your hurting, down and out, depressed friend to Jesus. And it's so often the religious people that get in the way. You want to get your friend that's just really just struggling on drugs to Jesus and the religious people just won't get out of the way. Some things never change. But these guys, they're determined to get their buddy to Jesus. And, and again, just imagine the scene. It's like, you know, what do we do? What, 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 man, what do we do? We can't get in. We can't get around. We can't, what, what are we going to do here? But these guys were determined to get their friend to Jesus. And so they get up under the roof. They hoist this guy up under the roof. They get him up on the roof and they start tearing the roof apart. Again, I, let me just, don't do that at your life group. Okay? Yes, amen. <laughs> All the life group leaders said Amen. But these guys, they start taking, I, again, I just see the scene. They're, so they're taking this guy. First off, okay, they got this guy on a cot, and probably four of them trying to carry this guy, and they're walking around the house. They can't get anywhere near. What do we do? 
I don't know, Jim Bob, you got an idea? I don't know what to do. Listen, this whole thing is redneck ingenuity. Come on, it is. Listen, what do we do? I can't get this guy up here. What are we going to do? Jim Bob, you got an idea? I got an idea. Let's just hoist him up there onto the roof. Well, how do you hoist a guy on a cot up on a roof? How do you do that? What are they, I mean, did they just tie the guy so tightly onto the cot that they could just hoist him up, you know, you guys up there, pull, pull. Did they take ropes and try to pull him up there? What's the guy saying all that time? Help. <laughs> you know what? Those guys with their redneck ingenuity, they got him up there. Well, now what do we do? Great idea, Jim Bob. Now there's no way to get him down in there. Well, let's just make us a hole. <laughs> Not a little hole. A hole big enough to put a cot through. Can you imagine these guys start, well, taking it all apart, tearing this roof apart, making this gigantic hole. Well, now what? They're all the way down there. Well, we got us some ropes. Got a bed sheet. Got some ribbon. We'll tie up them corners. We'll just lower them down there. Come on, guys. We're going to just take them and we've got these ropes and we're just going to tie them ropes on the end of that and we're going to take that cot and we're going to just drop him through the hole in the roof that we made and we're going to bring this guy down and we're going to drop him right there in front of Jesus and everybody. And they do. They drop him right down there in front of Jesus. Why? Because Redneck Ingenuity says, there ain't no way he can ignore him now. <laughs> and imagine the paralyzed guy. <laughs> I mean, again, just the reality. I'm not making fun. I'm not mocking. I'm just talking about the reality. Can you just imagine the reality of a paralyzed guy laying on a cot, being lowered down through a ceiling a bunch, with a bunch of guys that don't know enough. They, they don't know enough that, not, that you're not supposed to do that. Oops. Oh. I mean, this guy's probably going you know, back and forth, and, he, and he's probably swinging back and forth at this point. And he's, you know, they're just trying to get him down there in front of Jesus. And he's probably at that point. Again, remember the crowd. All the, I mean, they got special guests from Jerusalem there. These guys have got the big giant hats and the phylacteries, and you know, they're just the, uh, I mean, all that. And, and so you got all them on one side and Jesus on the other. Imagine the poor paralyzed guy. I, he probably was like, uh, they did it. <laughs> Jesus did say when he saw their faith. <laughs> like, I'm really, really awkward right now. <laughs> and the guys up there, I mean, just the guy hanging, you know, from it's just like, you know, something you'd see in some kind of Vegas show. This guy, though, got before Jesus. My question for you is this. What are you willing to do to bring your friends to Jesus? What are you willing to do? Because guess what? That was uncomfortable for them to do that. But they were loving, not comfortable. What are you willing to do to love your friends enough to get your friends to Jesus? These guys wanted to get their friend to Jesus so badly that they were willing to invest the time to, inve to go completely out of their way. And church, listen, they exerted 
a lot of energy. They poured themselves out doing this. They went and got a cot, carried him all the way. Who knew? I think they came from a far away because that's why they got there so late. It takes forever to carry somebody on a cot. It's slow traveling. And they finally get there and everything's all blocked off, can't get there, get him on the roof, take the roof all apart, lower him down to Jesus. You know what? These guys wanted to get their friend to Jesus and there was no obstacle that was going to stop them from getting him there. I was, I was, as I was going through some of this, I was thinking, we, we've been, some of the guys, we've been reading this book, Model Man. If you have not read this book or have not read it in a while, you need to read this book. This is an amazing book about the things, even about what we've been talking about. It is about a walk in integrity and how to walk in integrity because integrity will leave a legacy. And that's what we've been talking about. And so this is an amazing book. Listen, if you can't find it, you can't buy it, you can't afford it, you can't whatever, let me know. I will get you a copy. I would love to get this into your hands because it will, it will again, change your perspective. It will change your life if you'll let it but it will change your perspective as you see the scriptures coming to life. Well, one of the things they did in here was um, they, they asked this question, and I want to ask you this question. So I'm going to ask you to respond. How many of you in your life, how many of you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ through an evangelist or a, a television ministry, just a, a, a one of those kinds of ministries. How many of you, by raising your hand, how many of you came to know Jesus Christ because of an evangelist or a television ministry? One hand? Two hands? Three? Okay. Now let me ask you this. How many of you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ because you were witnessed to by a complete stranger, by, by somebody in the mall, by somebody out on the road, by somebody that was on a street corner? How many of you came... Two hands. Now let me ask you this. How many of you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ because you were influenced by a friend or a family member? Church, look around. You know what that is? That's Christians bringing non-Christians to Jesus. That's you doing whatever it takes to bring your coworkers, your friends, your family to Jesus. You know, in all of the evangelistic crusades and all of the Billy Graham stuff and all of those things, they statistically have come to show that 75% of the people that accept Jesus Christ at their crusades, 75% of them were brought by Christians. Church, all of you know some people that need Jesus. And if you don't know people that need Jesus... You are caught up in a religious lie that you're called to a place of religious separation. That's never the way in which God intended it to be. He didn't call us to eliminate everything out of the world. He called us to go into all of the world, to go be an influence in the world. The problem is is that the church has become so weak and anemic that if we go out into the world, then we're going to be affected by the world rather than affecting the world in which we're called to go to. Church, we need to start asking God, fill us with your spirit each and every day. Overwhelm me, Holy Spirit, with your gifts and with the fruit and with your desire for my life. I need you. We need to be more spirit-filled so that we can go out into the world and be an effect on the world rather than the world continually being an effect on us. You know people that don't know Jesus. And church, you need to bring them to Jesus. I didn't get as good an amen there. That's an intimidating thing. But honestly, I don't care. If you're intimidated, do it intimidated. If you're fearful, do it afraid. If you don't know what to say, go. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will give you words. Just do it. Get out there and share. The question is this. What are you willing to do to make that happen? What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? I guarantee you there's places where you're going to be pushed out of your comfort zone. What are you willing to do to make that happen? 
Listen, have, who, have you invited that person or those people, those wolves, you know, have you invited them to church? Well, they might not like our church. Take a chance. Yes, amen. When you bring them, be nice. And when you sit down, sit around the nice people. Just kidding. We don't have any non-nice people. We told all them to go over to the Baptist church. Just kidding. Come on, you guys. Take a joke. Kidding. We have a very nice church. And you can trust the people around you to be nice to your friends when you bring them. And those of you that are around you, you better be nice when they bring their friends and they finally get their friends to come to church. Don't be religious. Be friendly. Show them that you care. Show them you're glad they're here. I don't care how different they are. It doesn't matter what they look like. Reach out and be kind. Reach out and be nice. Listen, if I finally, after years and years, get my neighbor to come to church, you better be nice or I'm going to go find a different church. Have you invited them to your life group? Have you bought them a Bible, engraved their name on it? Have you bought them a book? Have you picked up the case for Christ and some other book that ministered to you? Have, have, you, have you reached out in that way? Have you, have you made them some bread? I mean, just taken them some cookies? Have you invited them for dinner? Well, I've invited my friends to church, but they never come. Well, get over the obstacle. Go pick them up. Great, I'll be there. You know, you know what will remind them? Honk, honk. <laughs> get out there in the driveway and honk your horn. We're here. We're ready. Come on. They have all sorts of excuses. What a, uh, I just, you know what? I didn't know where it was. Great, I know where it is. And I'll come pick you up. And I'll bring some coffee. And I'll bring some donuts for us to have on the way. And when we get there, I'm gonna, I'll smile. And I'll be nice. I'll stay with you. I'll introduce you to people. I'll even introduce you to the pastor. Come on. You got some people that want to meet you. Come and be a part of this. And by the way, here's a Bible for you so you can feel like you fit in with everybody. Here's a Bible and you can carry this. I even had your name put on it because I love you. And afterwards, I'm going to buy you lunch. Are we willing to get past the obstacles? To overcome those things? What are you willing to do to bring your friends to Jesus? Church, that's what God is asking all of us to do. Because people need Jesus. Every people need Jesus. And it is our great privilege to bring them to him. But church, there will never not be an obstacle. There will always be an obstacle. And the question is, will you be creative? Will you be resilient? Will you use your imagination? Will you, will you let the fact that there's a big crowd around the house stop you from getting your friend to Jesus? Will you, because there's no openings and you're going to have to try and get him on the roof, stop you from getting your friend to Jesus? It's because there's no hole in the roof. Will you let that stop you from getting your friend to Jesus? Will you get over the obstacles or will you let the obstacles stop you in your tracks? See, God's calling us to find a way to get them to Jesus. And I am not just simply talking about you getting them to church. I'm talking about you getting them to Jesus. Whatever it takes. These guys, these guys, listen, these guys were friends. Not just friends. These guys were great friends. They were eternal friends. They got him to Jesus. Then they let Jesus do what only Jesus could do. Listen, we're responsible to do what God's called us to do. We leave the results in his hand. 
So let me say what's going to happen now in this story is that, and we're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come, is that Jesus is going to heal this guy. And again, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and I want you to see this, rather than rejoicing, they start criticizing. And this is why. This is their mindset. Pharisees, the, what that word literally means is separated one, or one who is separated. And so their ideology was this. And let me just tell you, this permeates the church. Their ideology was that sin can be caught like leprosy could be caught. We talked about that, the relationship between leprosy and sin in the scripture. And they thought they could catch sin. They didn't realize that the problem was that sin is in us. It's not the sin that's out there. There is sin out there. But the real problem is the sin that's in us. It's what's in here that's going on. Their, ide their ideology was that it was out there, not in me. And real problems in this are in us. And it's not about what's out there. Yes, it's a problem. But our real problem is in here. I was praying about that and I thought you know we, we all we have the you know we can figure out in our mind and we all have this place where we're trying to figure out all the and some people are just really good at it figuring out all the conspiracies that are out there we get so tied up in all the conspiracies out there that we neglect the conspiracy that's in here and we can't let that happen is what these religious guys thought is that, well, we're clean and they're unclean. We're, we're holy. They're unholy. We've been cleansed and they're dirty. And we can't be near them because if we get near them, we're going to catch their sin. Now think about that. But how many of us in church take that same attitude? It's so where we get to a point where, well, I can't really witness because I don't know any unsaved people. Well, shame on you. Get out in the world. Jesus went out and met unsaved people. Lots of them. So that's what these guys thought and, and so these, that's what religious people think and that's what they did was that they took the Bible and they took it and then what they did was they began to make additional rules that would run alongside the Bible as we talked about earlier there's a lot of things that aren't biblical that we profess to be biblical but we can't find any scripture to mandate any of those things and so we take these additional rules and we apply them to the Bible well if you don't want to be around sinners and you don't want to be around sin then obey all the rules of the Bible and these additional rules that we've made then you'll be protected from having a sinner rub off on you. And religious people love their rules. Oh man, they love the rules. They love the rules. So they add rules to rules. They make rules about the rules. They make rules about the rules about the rules. That's the religious people. Look, I, I know. And we have traditions. And we have all that stuff. I know. I full well knew when I got dressed this morning that some of you are going to have a hard time receiving from me because Pastor Mark is in jeans and a t-shirt. How can I preach without a tie? Come on, that's just the truth. You, and some of you know it. But we put these rules in place. Where, well, where does it say that in Scripture, that I can't wear a t-shirt and jeans to preach in? Show me a scripture. John the Baptist preached in camel hair. There's rules about rules, and you may like that and make it a preference, but it's not, that doesn't make it biblical. So what's, what's interesting here is that these religious people you just again, imagine this. This guy, he's coming down. He's being dropped through the ceiling and the cot's going back and forth and I'm starting to sway and it's like this poor guy's on this cot and you know, what do we do here? And he's going back and forth. You know, that, and I guarantee you Luke would have said something, but not one of those religious people got up to steady that mat. You imagine, what if that, oh, the, somebody had just like started tearing a hole in our ceiling right here. Started lowering a paralytic guy through the. 
there'd be two groups of people. There would be the group of people in here today, there would be the group of people who say, how dare they do that? And the other group would jump up and say, let me help you steady that thing. What group are we in? Where would we be? This guy gets lowered down. None of them jumped up. Nobody wanted to help. Nobody stepped aside. Nobody made a way for this guy. All they're worried about is finding something about Jesus that they can disagree with. Finding something they can criticize. And those religious people that were there that day, they wanted to find something that they could catch him up in. And all the while, completely oblivious to the fact that they were surrounded by hurting and needy people that couldn't get to Jesus because they were standing in the way. And that's what happens with religion. And it's always, it doesn't matter. Even, you know, even as a wonderful a group as this, there are those who have some of these religious thoughts. Martin Luther said it's the default of man to default to religion. So we all have to hinder that. You know, we can make up rules about our rules about our rules. Well, I'm Pentecostal. Well, yeah, I know, but that can become very religious as well in everything. I'm going to share more about that in the coming couple of weeks here because, again, I, have, I again, full on will self-admit, I have fallen into so many of these places and tried to admi administer some of these rules myself. And, and you know what? It's not about that. I'll, again, I'll, I don't want to get into that right now. But some people in church come to learn. Some people in church come to argue. There's, there's people that come to church, people that come to, it doesn't matter what church, that come to criticize. We have that. I, I've had that. I have had, like in the same sermon, I have had, I've had people that criticize the church by saying, you guys don't, you don't share enough Bible. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I have a hard time with saying, like, well, you know, I, we are going line by line through it, but, um, but in the same, I had people go, you share, you, you guys, you guys share way too much Bible. I, I want more stories and I want more testimony. I can't please you. If what you're looking for is something to criticize, I promise you, I, I make it as easy as I can. <laughs> Look, when you come to church, and I'll tell you, for all of you, I, I, when you come to church, you will find what you're looking for. And if you come to church looking for something to criticize... As I said, I know I make it easy for you. And you will find something. If you come to church looking for truth, I can promise you that that's what you'll find. Amen. Amen. Because I was reading in Numbers chapter 22, and I, I, as I told the earlier service, I really wanted to use the King James Version, but I could not bring myself to it. But in Numbers chapter 22, there's a donkey. <laughs> and in that story, again, I so desperately wanted to go King James, but I couldn't. <laughs> if God could speak through a donkey, listen, he was speaking to the prophet of God. And if God could use a donkey to speak truth that the prophet of God could receive, how, can't God use me to speak a truth to you? Amen. So the question is, what are you looking for? What is it that you're looking for? Do you come looking to learn or do you come looking to argue? Do you come looking to hear from God or do you come looking for something you can find to be critical about man? You'll be able to find it. And many people have this critical disposition. It's a pharisaical attitude that says, I'm always right and there's always something that's wrong. And you know what? It's my job to find, God has anointed me to find it and criticize it. 
And I'm that person, these poor sheep need me. I don't need to go learn because I already know it all. I don't need that. I just need to, I just need to set the record straight. Criticize, to be a critic. Completely oblivious, though, to the fact that the place is filled with those that are hurting and those that are needy and those that are in pain and those that are going through difficult times and those that have just put on something on the outside to cover up the pain and anguish that's on the inside. That there's needy people that are here in all, in, in all sorts of ways, shapes, and forms that need to get to Jesus. And rather than being a support and a help, we can get in the way with a critical spirit. I'm not saying you don't ever speak up if there's something. I have told you this. I, first off, I can't do. I will not do. I don't have the ability to do an exhaustive study. There's always going to be things in the scripture that I don't touch on. That shouldn't be a critique. That should be a praise God. He left me with something to dig into. Amen. And you go find it. But I can't get to the end of that. I can't. I, there always will be things that I, I miss out on. And you can critique that. Or you can just dig into it yourself. And I have told you before, if I say something that's wrong, I want you to biblically show me where. Tell me. Because I don't want to be right. I want to be biblical. If I'm wrong, I want to say, you know what? I, I said this and that's not right. So somebody showed me this biblically. And you know what? That's what I want to be is Biblical. So I've told you all that. So again, I'm not just trying to get you to blindly follow man. I want you to dig in yourself. Go find it yourself. Let's be the church together. But these guys, they did nothing to reach out and to help that man. They did nothing to help him. They didn't lift a finger. They didn't go, nobody prayed for him. Nobody went over there to help him. Nobody steadied the cot. Nobody even got up out of their seat. Nobody was willing to exert any effort. Religious people tend to criticize those who are helping rather than helping. Religious people tend to criticize those who are witnessing rather than witnessing. Oh, did you blink? He shouldn't have said that. That's not the way to do it. Tends to criticize and become the obstacle rather than bringing people to Jesus. And tragically, they did the same thing to Jesus then, and they still do the same thing today. It is true. Pharisees will try to stop you from bringing your friends to Jesus. They will get in the way. They will stop you. And we need to be very careful. And I will show you this next week. We need to be careful because there's a little Pharisee in all of us. These guys, their friends, these friends overcame the obstacles that were between Jesus and them, no matter what the cost. And I want to leave you with this today. Worship team, would you come on back up? What are you, you, not us, what are you willing to do, to do, to get your friends and family to Jesus? What are you willing to do? God's calling you to do whatever it takes. And if you've got to hoist them up on the roof, if you've got to tear a hole in the roof, if you've got to lower them down, then those are some obstacle-overcoming obstacle friends. What are you willing to do? Will you pray with me? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today, and I thank you, God, that you are gracious and good. I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, you would loose your spirit in this place to bring to mind those that you're calling us to be a witness to. Who's the Holy Spirit bringing to mind right now? Yeah, this is, you know, this is the hard part about being here today is that now you have that face on your mind and you have to deal with it. I believe there's a face on every one of your minds that God has been moving you, desiring for you to reach out to them. Now, what are you going to do? 
going to ignore and be comfortable? Or are you going to love that person? Get them to Jesus. Right now, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up. Give me the power, Lord. Give me the inventive ideas. Give me the witty inventions, Lord. Give me the wisdom. Give me, Lord, the knowledge. Help me, Lord. Help me. Oh, Lord God, give me redneck ingenuity. And give me the power to do it. It all starts, church, with this. Are you saved? Have you been born again? It all comes down to this place. Do you need today? And I believe in this place there are some that need to come to Jesus. Listen, only Jesus can forgive you of the sin. Only Jesus can, only Jesus can heal your paralysis. Only Jesus can come and cleanse you of the guilt and the condemnation. Only Jesus has the ability to do that because only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus. In church, it, it, it's biblically, it's not true that, that we're the, where we say, it's not a biblical truth that all roads lead to Jesus. It can't be because Jesus said, I'm the only way. He's the door, and there is no other entrance into heaven but through Him, to an eternal life with Him. And ladies and gentlemen, every one of us will enter into eternal life one day. All of us. Some maybe sooner than others, but every one of us will enter into eternal life. The question is, and the importance of this, is what you do with Jesus today will matter when it comes to your eternal life. Because He is the only way. And so, through Jesus Christ, He made a way to restore the relationship that was broken by sin in the garden. And God wants us to come back into that intimate relationship, personal relationship. Not to join a religion, but to come into this relationship with the God who saves you. He says, come as you are. Come as you are. But will you spend your eternity with God and all that is good absent of every evil or will you spend it by rejecting Jesus will you spend it separated from God separated from him separated from all that is good See, that choice is ours. It is finished, he said. His work has been complete. Today, he leaves it up to you and I. Because the difference of where we will spend our eternity is found in only and only found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the only way. Do you need to come to Jesus today? If you do, you need to respond. You need to say, yes, Lord. Because Pastor Mark's not tugging on your heart. That's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, saying, today's the day. Come to me, my son. Come, my daughter. But you need to respond. Is there anybody in this place today that would say, Pastor Mark, pray for me. I need Jesus today. Would you raise up your hand? Thank you, Lord. Come on, don't, we're not just... anybody else I want to make sure that we give the opportunity thank you Lord come on church will you pray this prayer with me all of you Lord Jesus Christ I need you I am a sinner and I need a savior in myself I come to destruction I want life so I repent of my sin and I ask Jesus to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all iniquity. And Holy Spirit, come into my life and seal me today 
August 22nd, 2021, that I might be born again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen? Amen? Come on. Now, those can be simply words, or those can be a life-changing prayer uttered from our mouth to the throne of grace that changes our eternal life forever and ever and ever. I pray today that you would walk, as the Bible says, in the fruit of repentance, to see God, to allow God to give Him that place in your life where He begins to change and transform you from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Come on, will you stand with me? exactly what baptism is, what it isn't, will help you to make some of these decisions. It's not just a ceremony. It is something that's real in our lives and it represents so much. Now again, Jesus was baptized at the age of 30. So what I, I, I want is, is that moms and dads, you need to make decisions with your children about how they deal with, how they handle, how they walk through this place of baptism. It's not a point of salvation. It's a point of understanding for them. I don't want anybody to feel like they can't come to Jesus or come to the waters of baptism. I don't. But I want you moms and dads to be responsible for teaching and training and going through this with your kids so that they understand. And if they're not at that place right now, hold back. Hey, it's not going to make a difference in the eternal life for them. It will just make a difference in their understanding of what they're going through in this. And we want that to be understood because this is a huge choice. So lead your little ones. Lead them. If they don't understand fully, hold off. But I'm going to trust you in that. I am not the decision maker in that. And this is another truth. If they get baptized today... That doesn't mean that 10 years from now, they might decide at that point in their spiritual life to say, you know what, this is a brand new place for me. I want to go into those waters. I want to be baptized again. That is absolutely fine. So there's no condemnation in this. But let's just make sure we're not walking through a a ceremony for the sake of religion. do what the Lord Jesus has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Church, I love you. Again, I hope you can stick around. If you can't, out there, go be the church. Go be the light to those that the Holy Spirit laid on your mind. Go out there and share Jesus. 
God bless you. Go be the church.